This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to the special edition of The Lead, White House in Crisis. I'm Jake Tapper. To say we are in an unprecedented time is understating just how aberrant the behavior from the President of the United States has become. Today, President Trump not only openly called for exactly what Congress is looking into in their impeachment inquiry, pushing the Ukrainians to investigate his domestic political rival Joe Biden, but the president expanded what critics are calling a clear abuse of power to include China. No whistleblower required here. President Trump pushed this at the White House on the South Lawn after being asked by a reporter what exactly he wants from Ukraine's leaders. I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Bidens. It's a very simple answer. Uh, They should investigate the Bidens, because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at, and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens. A reminder that the prosecutor and, as of today, former president of Ukraine both assert that there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either Joe Biden or his son. But beyond the indecency of this potential abuse of power is the shock of the deafening silence from almost everyone in the Republican Party, apparently hoping that history will never wonder what they were doing while this was all happening. CNN's Caitlin Collins is at the White House. And Caitlin, you've been reporting that aides in the White House are worried that the president doesn't quite grasp the enormity of this. He's just saying it out loud now. Yeah, we've been talking for the last several days about a private request that Trump made. And today he did it again about another country in front of the cameras, surrounded by microphones and reporters. And we should note it was unprompted. As you heard there, he was talking about Ukraine when then he brought up the fact that he believes China should also investigate the Bidens. So right now what you're seeing, if you step back, is the president is calling on a foreign power to investigate his political rival while he is facing an impeachment threat for calling on a foreign power to investigate his political rival. Now, we should note, the president said he had not spoken to the president of China yet about this, but he made clear that there's an opening and that he might do so, noting just moments before he made that request that the U.S. or the Chinese trade delegation is going to come back to the U.S. next week to Washington for another round of those talks, though it's unclear if it's going to come up then. But the president made clear he thinks it's fine if it does. And, and Caitlin, this afternoon, the vice president, Mike Pence, defended the president. What did he have to say? Yeah, there have been questions about Pence's role in all of this, because remember, Trump sent Pence to Poland when he couldn't go. He stayed back to monitor that hurricane. That's when Pence sat down with the Ukrainian president. And there were questions about whether or not Joe Biden came up during that question Uh, during those talks between the two. He said they did it, but today he said that he thinks these are legitimate questions to ask about investigating the Bidens. When you hold the second highest office in the land, it comes with unique responsibilities. Uh, Not just to be above impropriety, but to be above the appearance of impropriety. So, of course, he's not only saying that Joe Biden's not above the appearance of impropriety, but he was also talking about uh, these specific allegations that the president has been making that, of course, the president has not provided any evidence or reasoning for why he believes these things. All right. Caitlin Collins at the White House with the latest there. Thank you so much on Capitol Hill today. The first witness to testify about this Ukraine scandal appeared before three congressional committees behind closed doors. Kurt Volker, the now former U.S. special envoy for Ukraine. CNN's Manu Raju is live for us on Capitol Hill. And Manu, Republicans are claiming that that Volcker behind closed doors has not advanced the impeachment probe in any way. 
Yeah, and they are. They're saying that, but they're not providing any details about exactly why they are making that case. This Volcker testimony is happening still, Jake, five and a half hours behind closed doors. He is still talking to this committee, going through documents that have been provided by uh, provided to this committee, as well as answering questions about what was in that whistleblower complaint about the Volcker apparently trying to navigate concerns that the Ukrainians had about the differing messages that came out about from the from both the president himself and Rudy Giuliani about pushing for an investigation into Joe Biden, also about a meeting that he apparently set up with Rudy Giuliani and a liaison to the Ukrainian president Zelensky to talk about these issues. All those are being discussed. Now, Republicans have been saying all day that this is nothing to advance the impeachment inquiry. But when you ask them, what do you mean by that? They refuse to comment on the details because this is still ongoing and Democrats have yet to comment on this as well, Jake. So we'll have to see exactly what emerges from here. But at the moment, questioning still ongoing. We'll see when this wraps up. Jake. And Mano, you spoke with the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Democrat Adam Schiff. Um, what did he have to say about that characterization from Republicans that Volcker wasn't moving the ball in any way? Well, he declined to comment. I asked him directly that question. Your response to the Republican contention that essentially this is undercutting your investigation. He would not comment about that, but instead he took a he criticized the president directly about the president's comments on the South Lawn of the White House. I'm not going to comment at all uh, until after the hearing, um, except to say that I think the president's once again inviting foreign interference in our election is repugnant uh, and a violation of his oath of office. It endangers our elections uh, and it endangers our security. Now, he also declined to comment when I asked him if anybody on his staff knew the identity of the whistleblower. This coming, he, this coming, of course, after his office acknowledged that the whistleblower had reached out to a staff member and to essentially determine the process for filing a complaint. This after Adam Schiff had said publicly that they had not had contact with the whistleblower. They had not spoken to him. Now, Adam Schiff has since, uh, through a, a committee official, has said essentially that he should have been clearer that they did not review the whistleblower complaint. They certainly didn't write the whistleblower complaint, as the president has alleged, but the whistleblower did reach out to a staff member just to talk about the process, which they seem, they say is completely normal. That happens from whistleblowers all the time, where they reach out to the committees, the committees direct them how to file a complaint. But still, that's something that Republicans and his allies have been trying to attack the shift over to undermine his credibility. But nevertheless, he declined to comment on that today, but questions ultimately will persist, Jay. All right, Manu Rajan, Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Another player in this Ukraine probe is the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. Democrats want her to testify as well. She has now gotten tangled up in a series of documents that the State Department Inspector General handed over to Congress yesterday. You might recall on this show yesterday, there was confusion on Capitol Hill as to why the Inspector General handed over this weird bunch of documents described by a Democratic congressman as conspiracy theories about various individuals that the president considers enemies of his. We've since learned that some of these documents came from the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who sent them to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. CNN has obtained these documents, which contain unproven claims about the Bidens, as well as former Ambassador Yovanovitch. Let's get right to CNN's Kylie Atwood. And Kylie, what can you tell us about these documents? 
Well, a large part of these documents prop up what we have already seen in the public sphere. These unfounded conspiracy theories about both Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, alleging that they were corrupt, that they were doing things illegally. Also f propping up unfounded theories about the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, saying that she was an operator of the Democratic Party and she was making requests on behalf of the U.S. government that were improper of the Ukrainian government. Now, we know that she never made those requests that were alleged. But also in these documents, we have in some internal State Department emails. And what they show is that some of the top State Department officials were passing around these right-wing conspiracy theories and charging, claiming that they were not right, calling out the fact that they were casting the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, incorrectly and saying that they captured the basic fake narrative that was out there. Hmm. So Giuliani says that some of these documents originated with him and he passed them on to Pompeo. What did he think was going to happen after that? Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, playing a game of phone tag, right? They passed it from one to another. First, they started with Giuliani. Giuliani then passed on those documents to the White House and he asked them to be directed to Pompeo. Somehow they got from the White House to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. When Pompeo got them, at some point they were passed on to the legal advisor at the State Department. Now, the legal advisor got them and then shared them with the inspector general of the State Department. That was about in May, right? And they shared those documents with the FBI. The FBI said that they could share those documents with Congress, indicating that the FBI is not actively investigating this matter. Congress now has those documents because the inspector general brought them to Congress yesterday. We don't know exactly what Giuliani wants done with these documents, but we know that he wanted Secretary Pompeo to look into them and to investigate them. All right. Kylie, I would thank you so much. Appreciate your reporting. The letter signed by several Republican lawmakers that seems to undermine President Trump's credibility argument about the whistleblower. Stay with us. Welcome back to this special edition of The Lead, White House in Crisis. Today, President Trump openly suggesting both Ukraine and now China should investigate his political rival, Joe Biden, and Biden's son. Let's talk about this with our experts. Ryan Lizzo, let me start with you. How significant do you think the president's words today were? I think they're very significant because what Trump is, what Trump relies on is support from Republicans, right? Obviously, um, that's the, that, that's what buoys him, right? And so he tests every day, how far can he push his arguments? How much can he get away with, right? And he has no compunction about completely changing what he says he believes uh, about this, right? So, we have a whole set of Republicans and right-leaning commentators who defended the transcript that was released by the White House by saying the president never asked him to investigate Joe Biden. It was really just about these, these other issues. Well, lo and behold, Trump just blurts it out, right? Yeah. And so now he's put his entire party in the position of, okay, we now have to either condemn the president, not likely to happen based on uh, previous examples, or readjust their defense of him based on his latest words. And that's the most important dynamic is how far can he push them? 
Uh, everything indicates that he can push them very far uh, and uh, that they, in essence, created this president. And in many ways, uh, they have given him permission over these last three years uh, to basically do anything he wants, right? Never mind what he was doing uh, as a candidate. If you think about what he was doing, even in his, in his first weeks in office, divulging classified information in the White House, questioning the credibility of the intelligence agency, lying and lying and lying thousands of times, racial division, uh, and well as just spreading conspiracy theories. So this idea that all of a sudden uh, Republicans are going to uh, balk at what this president says and does, I, I think it probably well, won't happen because in many ways they are this president. What are you hearing from Republicans on Capitol Hill? Are any of them expressing concern that this is in fact a complete violation of his oath of office and an yeah. abuse of power and something they would never tolerate uh, in a Democratic president? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of heavy sighs because um, it is a lot more of and in many ways worse than what the president did without the cameras there with Ukraine. I mean, saying what he said to China, a country that he is in a trade war with, a country that presidents of both parties have, you know, reamed out for stealing America's intellectual property. He is saying, um, excuse me, can you help me uh, investigate my political opponent? I mean, it's just almost impossible to wrap our minds around. I agree about um, you know, but this putting Republicans in a very tough position. They admit that, yeah. you know, very openly. But what it's a tough position. If, if I'm sorry for interrupting, yeah, but it's yeah. a tough position if getting reelected is more exactly. important than standing up for what's right. That's what makes it a tough position. Yes. I mean, if however, for some of the purple state uh, Republicans who are up for reelection, who could determine whether Republicans keep control of the Senate or not, Depending on how this goes, that might not be as clear cut of a political decision that they make because, you know, they're going to need their base, but they're also going to need independents and Democrats to see how this goes. The president, he has just decided that this is not wrong. He doesn't care. And by saying it out loud, he's going to make it OK. And Elliot, Preparara, the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, who, who was, we should mention, fired by Trump, um, he called this a plausible second article of impeachment. I don't doubt that. But here's the question. Is it illegal? Is calling on a foreign country to investigate your domestic political opponents, is that against the law? For the, if you're the president of the United States, it's more complicated because the president has broad authority to conduct things like foreign relations. And he has, this is what tripped up the Mueller report somewhat because the president does have broad authority. Now, look, there are a number of crimes that you step up to, like bribery, extortion, um, and, you know, but you have to demonstrate that there's a thing of value coming to the person for the, the crime they're committing. At the end of the day, and you know this very well, Jake, it doesn't have to be a crime for it to be impeachable. And Congress ultimately says, generally, I mean, the, the term high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution isn't really defined. Generally, Congress believes, number one, if someone's abused power, if someone has behaved, a president has behaved in a manner incompatible with the oath of office or misused the office for personal gain, that's sort of a slam dunk on both this chi these China allegations and the Ukraine allegations. Yeah. But you just probably couldn't charge them as a crime. Uh, By the way, they're not allegations, they're pronouncements. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you don't need a whistleblower for this one. Back in, so back in September, Republican Senator Mitt Romney tweeted, quote, if the president asked or pressured Ukraine's president to investigate his political rival, either directly or through his personal attorney, it would be troubling in the extreme, critical for the facts to come out. Now, Democratic Congressman David Cicilline uh, just responded to that saying, quote, the president just did exactly this on camera, no less. <laughs> It's time for Republicans to put our country ahead of their political party. But but do you see the Mitt Romneys of the world 
Well, I don't want to You're criticize not, Mitt Romney because yeah, he's yeah. actually gone out farther than anyone. Yeah. yeah. But are they going to say anything? I mean, they, they wondered if he did this, it would be yeah. horrible. Now he's doing yeah. it in front of the cameras. Look, the pattern here is that they, they won't, right? And I think Dana made the great point. He's saying it out loud to make it okay. That is the unusual thing we, we live with in the era of Trump. Mm-hmm. When he says something out loud and publicly... And it's almost like, well, he's not keeping it secret, so maybe it's not so bad. And he conditions the, the sort of information environment, especially on the right, mm-hmm. to then sort of adapt to that argument. It's, you know, we've never really seen anything like this that, in American history. Yeah. And all of a sudden, his supporters on the right will start uh, making those defenses. And the glue that holds this together is, frankly, just hatred for the other party. That drives everything. And until and Republicans... The and the media. Yeah. Until Republicans think that what Trump is doing is worse than what they see in the Democrats and in the media, they will stick with this. But you know what? We've seen this in history before, and sometimes there is a breaking point. You look at cases you know, like support for uh, Joe McCarthy, support for Richard Nixon. Eventually, that cost-benefit analysis changes. Well, the one thing that I think everybody knows is in this town, when there, a one standard is eroded and, and you're okay with it, it comes back oh, to bite yeah. you no matter what, and it gets worse. Absolutely. And we've seen that well a million said. times with a million different things. That I, We've never seen an erosion like this, though. With President Trump now publicly calling for not one, but two foreign countries to investigate his political opponent, did he just help the impeachment inquiry? Our next guest is on one of the committees leading that inquiry. Stay with us. We're back with the politics lead in this special episode of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. President Trump now publicly pushing the leaders of Ukraine and China to investigate his political rivals. Joining me now to discuss is Congressman Ro Khanna, who serves on the House Oversight Committee, which is helping to lead the impeachment inquiry into the president. Uh, Congressman, thanks for joining us. You heard the president earlier today just out in the open call for Ukraine and now China to investigate uh, former Vice President Biden and his son. Is that against the law? It is, Jake. I mean, there is no factual dispute here. The president is brazenly committing impeachable acts on national television. He's soliciting foreign interference to get dirt on a political rival. He's frankly rejecting George Washington's farewell address, where George Washington warned this country that the downfall of our constitutional republic would be foreign influence. So what's the exact crime? Conspiracy to, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what the law is. I understand that you think it's impeachable, which is a political call. Uh, and I understand people think it's an, uh, an abuse of uh, his office, an abuse of power. Yes. But what's the law that he's breaking? Well, as you know, Richard Nixon, one of the articles of impeachment was for abuse of office, abuse of your constitutional oath. And that is the central case against the president, that he's abused uh, his oath of office. He hasn't protected our Constitution. Now, are there possible criminal violations as well? Uh, That can be looked into. But you don't need that uh, for an impeachment. Uh, What you need is an article saying that he's abused his office and violated his oath. Take a listen to something else President Trump said. Well, I think Biden is uh, going down, and I think his whole situation, because now you may very well find that there are many other countries that they scam, just like they scam China and Ukraine. And basically, who are they really scamming? The USA. And it's not good. Just to be clear, the president's providing no evidence for these lies and smears. He's just saying whatever in front of the cameras, in front of the American people. What's your reaction when you hear that from the president? They're ad hominem attacks. 
They have no place in American politics. You know I co-chair Bernie Sanders' campaign, but every Democrat needs to condemn them. Uh, they should not allow this president to try to do to a Democrat what he did to Hillary Clinton. Uh, it's despicable. Democratic Congressman Max Rose, one of your colleagues, a Democrat from New York, announced yesterday that he now supports the impeachment inquiry, though he did have some words of caution. Take a listen. What's most important here is that we do not jump either to any conclusions. This is a sad, sad day for America. Mm. No one should cheer this. No one should applaud it. There were Democrats that signed on to impeachment before they were even sworn in. That's absolutely wrong. Do you agree with the congressman? Do you see colleagues sometimes uh, acting in a way that you think might uh, undermine the seriousness of purpose of the impeachment inquiry? I haven't. I uh, respect Representative Rose, and I'm glad that he's now for impeachment inquiry. I don't know a single colleague who was for uh, impeachment before uh, the president was sworn in. There were many Democrats who even went to his inauguration, as did I. Uh, the president has signed two of my bills. Speaker Pelosi is still calling on the president to work on prescription drugs. And Speaker Pelosi talked about sadness as well. No one wants to go through an impeachment inquiry that by definition is going to further polarize this country. But we have a constitutional responsibility, and we can't have a president uh, out there saying to foreign leaders, come meddle with our democracy. So we have no choice uh, but to do this. All right, former congressman, I mean, sorry, current congressman, uh, Ro <laughs> Rokana Ro uh, of California, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Jake. Always a pleasure. Uh, well, that was uncomfortable. Vice President Mike Pence was just asked about President Trump calling for now two countries to dig up dirt on the Biden. Stay with us. Welcome back to our special, The Lead, White House in Crisis. Vice President Mike Pence this afternoon playing the dutiful soldier defending the president's call with the president of Ukraine, which is now at the center of the Democrats' impeachment inquiry in the House. The president spoke about lack of European support. He spoke about corruption. Uh, and he tasked me to go and to meet with the president of Ukraine and carry our concerns about those issues. And anyone that looks at the president's transcript uh, will see that the president was raising issues that were appropriate, that were genuine interest to the American people. Now that's Vice President Mike Pence, 2019. Take a listen to a guy that looks a lot like him, Governor Mike Pence. 2016. Now, you all need to know out there, this is, this is basic stuff. Foreign donors and certainly foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process. Hmm. I want to bring in CNN's Jeremy Diamond at the White House. Jeremy, sources tell CNN that there is some anxiety and frustration in the Pence camp about this impeachment investigation. What are you learning about those concerns and how they're trying to shelter the vice president from the scandal? Uh, well, Jake, this vice president is a vice president who has had an uncanny ability to really stay above the fray as President Trump has been beset with one controversy after the next. We saw that play out, especially with the Mueller investigation, but not so much as it relates to this Ukraine matter and this whistleblower complaint. And that has provoked uh, a significant amount of anxiety among Pence advisors, according to multiple sources, uh, who are upset with the way that the White House has handled this whistleblower complaint and the way in which uh, the president has repeatedly roped in the vice president 
president to this matter. You'll remember, Jake, that after that transcript came out, the president also offered up the transcript of Vice President Mike Pence's calls uh, with the Ukrainian uh, president. We haven't seen those uh, yet, of course. Uh, none nonetheless, what we have seen from uh, the vice president's team is an attempt once again to say that the vice president is out of the loop on these matters. It's something that we've heard from the vice president's camp uh, in the past. And, and that is saying that, you know, they're not aware, the vice president wasn't aware of the president raising Joe Biden on this call with the Ukrainian president. All of this, despite the fact that the vice president's own national security advisor was on this call, that the vice president would have been briefed on this call before traveling to Poland to meet with the Ukrainian president. And indeed, that is the case. The vice president was repeatedly involved in interactions with Ukrainian officials. So this is not one where he can really uh, edge away in the same way, Jake. And Jeremy, uh, I heard a clip of Vice President Pence saying that people like Joe Biden or himself need to uh, avoid not only impropriety, but even the appearance of impropriety. Uh, and that the Ukraine uh, controversy involving Hunter and Joe Biden uh, is that, the appearance of impropriety, which is a, which is a fair enough uh, assertion. I didn't hear the whole interview, though. I didn't hear whether or not he repeated the, the lies and smears and unfounded allegations about the Bidens. Did Pence do that, too? He did, Jake. He did. He once again raised those unfounded allegations about Vice President Biden uh, and his son's activities in Ukraine and called uh, for an investigation of the matter, saying that it is the American people deserve to know uh, what the Bidens did in Ukraine. Um, he, uh, he was very much towing the company line on this issue, Jake. He was backing up the president and his uh, allegations about the Bidens, but he didn't go quite so far as the president did in terms of calling on other countries to investigate uh, Biden. Uh, he said the the president has made it clear he believes other nations around the world should look into it as well. But the vice president did not himself call for Ukraine and China to investigate the former vice president. Jake. All right. Jeremy Diamond, thanks so much. Let's chew over all this. And Dana, I mean, the vice president, we've known him for a long time. He used mm -hmm. to be in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. He knows better. Mm -hmm. And yet he's he's doing this, too. Yeah. Um, look, it's almost as if you can you can see the pain in his face as he is talking about it. And I repeats mean, the smears. Yeah, uh, because he does from the guy that we covered in the House, as you said, the guy that we got to know uh, as governor of Indiana afterwards. He does know better. I mean, you played the clip. He said so himself during his own vice presidential debate that he knows better. Yeah. But he also speaks fluent Trump ease. And he understands the DNA of the president as much as he needs to, to stay exactly where he has been for three and a half years, which is, first of all, becoming the pick. And second of all, navigating the very, very choppy um, waters of the Trump world. And and, you know, he tries to engage when he when he feels it's beneficial and disengage when it's not. This is a situation where we don't know the answer to one of the key questions here with regard to him, despite the fact that he went after Joe Biden, which is he's the one who met with uh, President Zelensky in September. Mm -hmm. He talked about corruption. He his own national security advisor was on that July 25th General Kellogg, phone, yeah. phone call. Did he get briefed by General Kellogg? Did he read the transcript, which is apparently in his briefing book? And did he deliver that message, whether it was overt or, you know, subtly to the Ukrainian uh, president, knowing what he was doing. Because, Nia, the, 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 the argument is that when Vice President Pence went to talk to the Ukrainian president, uh, Zelensky, about corruption, right. quote unquote corruption, by then Zelensky had had it communicated with him 
by Rudy Giuliani through one of his top aides, by President Trump in a prior phone call to the one that we have the, the uh, rough transcript to, the Zelensky knew that by corruption, right. they meant the Bidens. Exactly. That's the argument. Right, right. Because in the phone call, when he talks about corruption, it's only about Biden, right? It's not about some sort of wholesale uh, corruption in Ukraine. It's very specifically about Joe Biden, about Hunter Biden, uh, and this other idea about uh, the server as well. So sure, I mean, if, if Pence is going there talking about corruption uh, more broadly, you imagine that uh, the, the, the president of Ukraine knows what he's talking about. You know, I mean, Pence is someone who likes to be in power likes to be close to this president, uh, knows that being close to this president uh, means showing utter loyalty, and that is what he's doing. I don't know if it pains him to do that. He seems to do it with ease, at least today, and and speak Trump uh, fluently. Uh, And if you even turn back uh, a week ago when President Trump called him out and essentially said, listen, you should listen to Mike Pence's calls, too. That night, he went on TV to say that the transcript vindicated everything uh, that Trump had said. So, you know, he might be in, in... in this up to his, his eyeballs, but he seems to also be co-signing for this president. And let's, pl- let's play that sure. clip because some people thought that that was a savvy way of President Trump to remind people around him that he would not be the only one involved mm-hmm. in this scandal. Uh, president Trump uh, talking about Vice President Pence uh, to reporters when talking about Ukraine last week. I think you should ask for VP Pence's conversation because he had a couple of conversations also. How did you interpret that, Ryan Lizza? <laughs> exactly how you set it up is him saying, you know, all these other officials around me were on this call. And, you know, I think what's implicit there is nobody complained. Right. Uh, you know, and Trump does have a way of making sure that if he's going to be criticized for something, uh, other people around him are going to be sullied in, in, the, in the same way. And Ellie, let me just stands let, to be president. Of let, 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 exactly. let me just ask exactly. you. Is there a risk beyond a political risk? Is there a risk legally or uh, regarding impeachment for the vice president? Okay, let me say three words that will drive fear into the hearts of Republicans everywhere. President Nancy Pelosi, which is ultimately what happens if both the president and vice president end up impeached. Now, (laughs) that's a stretch, obviously, but um, anything that the president could be charged with, the vice president could. So these extortion, bribery, um, foreign interference charges. Now, again, they're very, very hard to establish here because you'd have to prove a thing of value. And yes, it makes common sense. Yeah, election interfere, you know, value to a campaign is a thing of value. That's that's hard to prove in court. But at the end of the day, this gets back to what we talked about earlier. If he's seen to have violated his oath of office, then yes, he could be impeached and, too. And I feel like isn't isn't everything that happened at that phone call basically moot after today? Because he's I mean, already done it out in the open. Right. I mean, the Democrats are basically going to say what he said today is impeachable all on its own. And, yeah, there's an interesting conversation about exactly what the nuance of that phone call was and whether it was a quid pro quo. But at the end of the day, the question for impeachment now will be, is it okay for the president of the United States to invite totalitarian governments to investigate political opponents? Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. It was not too long ago that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was demanding all of the documents from the White House. He was a member of the House at the time. So what's changed? Stay with us. Welcome back to this special edition of The Lead, White House in Crisis, the impeachment inquiry engulfing some of the president's men. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is facing a big deadline. Tomorrow, he says he will respond to a subpoena to turn over key documents to Congress dealing with the Ukraine scandal. Now, once upon a time, Pompeo himself was in the House of Representatives 
And he was demanding that members of the White House, the Obama administration, turn over information in the Benghazi investigation. It's deeply a part of the American tradition and our Constitution that the Congress perform this oversight. Our goal is really quite simple, is to get every single fact we can get, every document, every witness, and to put together the, the puzzle, the mosaic for the American people. He was right then. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, he is behaving differently now. And, and we know the complete that opposite. Complete opposite, just like you uh, played Pence before uh, and, and Pence now. Yeah, I mean, he essentially is saying at this point uh, that he feels like Congress, which he used to be a member of, is bullying uh, State Department officials. And he is there to protect uh, them from these big bullies in, in Congress, like Adam Schiff and all these other uh, folks who are looking for documents and le- looking to piece together the mosaic of of what happened uh, with with Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, and this is what we've seen time and time again. All of these Republicans who said something before when they were going after Hillary Clinton, going after Barack Obama, going after any number of Republicans, now they're doing everything they can. And to be fair, Democrats are, you can find Democratic sound bites from the impeachment hearing, uh, the impeachment uh, inquiry into Bill Clinton that sure. sound a lot like yeah. Republicans now. Gerald, is, Gerald Nadler and Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, which is, which is the point you were making earlier, which is when you when you take norms and things that are supposed to be in place and you yeah. twist them for for your partisan gain it will come back to bite you the, at yeah. some point That's the, the one difference is you do you did have democrats back in 1999 vote for Feingold, the liberal True. stalwart in the senate at the time did vote for impeachment i'm sure they're and out still, of the house too I out think of the house too, so yeah. and that's different yeah. now that may change as we know nixon's impeachment public opinion and congressional opinion evolved over time but right now you simply don't, and the, oh yeah met romney in a tweet but at the end of the day there isn't really serious republican support yeah for the and look now. bill clinton Committed perjury and he's suborned perjury. I don't and obstructed justice. I, I said it well. 20 years ago. I'll say it today. Uh, let me ask you a question, Elliot, yeah. while I have you. Um, in his letter to Congress, Pompeo said he would only respond to the subpoena. He didn't say he was going to comply with the subpoena. <laughs> Is there any recourse for the House if he does not comply with the subpoena? Yeah, they can. Again, they can sue him and bring him to court and compel the production of the documents. Again. An impeachment proceeding is a different ball game than we're used to. It's different than Mueller and so on because it's called under the law a judicial proceeding. It's just easier to get stuff. So, yeah, they will likely go to court if they don't get it because they're playing for keeps this time. Ryan, I want to uh, bring in some breaking news here. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just sent a letter to her Republican counterpart, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. He earlier had requested suspending the impeachment inquiry. Pelosi, of course, denying the request. And this is part of her response that uh, she just sent, quote, as you know, our founders were specifically intent on ensuring that foreign entities did not undermine the integrity of our elections. I received your letter this morning shortly after the world witnessed President Trump on national television asking yet another foreign power to interfere in the upcoming 2020 elections. I mean, I think McCarthy's letter was about a series of questions if it's, if the, uh, about the process mm-hmm. for impeachment. She's in a long list. Trump's now tweeted that out. And I think Nancy Pelosi will now put this question to every Republican, right? That's a lot of these process arguments are kind of in the weeds. For Democrats, it's very simple now. Do you agree with what the president did today or not? Um, and I would be shocked for a Republican to affirmatively say that they're OK with that. Uh, If that's what happens, we're then going to be in a place, as Dana and Jake were talking about before, that both parties will can pick up that weapon and Democrats can pick up that weapon and adopt it for themselves. Republicans are going to say they're okay with what the president said. They're not going to say that. They are. Hmm. They're going to say, oh, really? 
Well, you think they're affirmatively going to say it's okay, it's okay for, for just a few? You or ask the Chinese? Jim Jordan, Jordan talked sure. to on Sunday. I'm not Jim saying Jordan, the majority Mark of Meadows, them believe uh, that. Uh, I guess it matters I'm how they. I'm not saying they actually believe it. I'm just saying that some of them will say it. Do they dodge or will the question, they, yeah. The question is, do they just duck the question or affirmatively say, no, that was okay? And I have a hard time believing. Because, look, even Pompeo at a certain point diverted, uh, you know. Yeah, that seems changed, to be the majority changed, are silent. The, the majority yeah, yeah. are silent, and they are, they're, you know, intentionally so, but they're not going to be able to say that way. All right, long. everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. He is the husband of one of President Trump's top White House advisors. George Conway just laid out a scathing case for why he believes President Trump is, in his words, unfit for office. That's ahead on the special edition of The Lead, White House in Crisis. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news in the politics lead today with an impeachment inquiry already raising issues of an abuse of power. President Trump today continued to shock the political system by openly pushing both Ukraine and now China to open investigations into Joe Biden and his son, despite there being no evidence of wrongdoing, which the former Ukrainian prosecutor and president have said publicly. One need not have whistleblowers for today's story. President Trump said this in front of TV cameras today, standing on the South Lawn of the White House. And the reaction from Republican lawmakers to further evidence that President Trump is clearly using his office to push foreign governments to investigate his domestic political rivals, either ardent defense of the president's conduct or the faint sound of crickets chirping. CNN's Caitlin Collins starts off our coverage now from the White House. China should start an investigation into the Biden. In his own words today, President Trump called on another foreign power to investigate his political rival. I think Biden is uh, going down saying it in front of the cameras while facing an impeachment inquiry for making a similar request behind closed doors. If it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens. Today, Trump finally telling reporters what he wanted the president of Ukraine to do about the Bidens after he refused to answer the question Wednesday. We have the president of Finland. Ask him a question. I have one for him. I just wanted to follow up on the one that I asked you. Which did you hear me? Did you hear me? His brazen call for China to investigate Joe Biden's son and his business dealings, echoing a request he made during the 2016 campaign. Russia, if you're listening. Though Trump said he hadn't brought it up with China's president yet. Certainly something we can start thinking about. Moments before, he told reporters the Chinese trade delegation will be in the U.S. for another round of talks next week. But if they don't do what we want... We have tremendous, uh, tremendous power. As Trump spoke, Vice President Mike Pence was in Arizona defending him and attacking Biden. The American people have a right to know whether or not the vice president of the United States or his family profited from his position. There have been questions about Pence's own role in the scandal after he was sent to Poland in the president's place last month where he sat down with the Ukrainian leader but denied that Biden came up. Well, on the first question, the answer is no. Pence's national security advisor was on that July call between Trump and the president of Ukraine, though aides insist Pence was unaware of the push for damaging information on Biden. Asked if it's appropriate to ask foreign governments to investigate political rivals, Pence said this today. And clearly in this case, there are legitimate questions 
uh, that ought to be asked. Now, Jake, we should note that despite those comments, no authorities in the United States have accused the Bidens of any wrongdoing overseas. And of course, you should note that as we talked about how the president said, you know, Russia, if you're listening, find Hillary Clinton's emails. After that, aides later said the president was joking. They have not offered up a similar defense for his comments about China this morning. All right. Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thanks so much. Uh, Let's chew over all this with our experts and Jen Psaki. The president now openly calling for two foreign governments, Ukraine and the autocratic uh, regime of China, to investigate his domestic political rivals. Um, It seems fairly unprecedented to me. I think that's safe to say. And this was an exact transcript, we can say. It wasn't even notes from a transcript. Uh, There's a couple things in common here, and Caitlin touched on much of this. Um, uh, the, the main thing is that there are ongoing negotiations. I mean, Ukraine wanted military assistance. They had wanted military assistance from the United States for years, and there had been ongoing discussions about that. Holding that over their head, that's the quid quo, pro quo right there. With China, as she touched on, there's negotiations that are ongoing. They're coming here next week. So The you know, trade negotiations. The trade negotiations, yeah. exactly. Those have been ongoing. Uh, President Trump has put significant tariffs onto Chinese goods. And I will tell you, foreign leaders, they watch what the president says. Even when I was the State Department spokesperson, they watched what I would say in a uh, in a briefing to give an indication of where negotiations are going. So they're looking at what he's saying, and the Chinese are probably saying, huh, what does that mean? Okay, they obviously are watching the news. But yes, this is unprecedented, um, and he, he did in clear daylight what he is under an investigation for impeachment for with, with another country. What would the reaction be uh, among Republican lawmakers, do you think, hypothetically, if Barack Obama had openly called on Iran and Russia, just to pick two other countries, to openly investigate Mitt Romney? I mean, I, I am really, I have to say there is a principle here that goes far beyond any partisan politics. Everyone knows the answer to that. And and we know that because we can see all the hypocrisy from back in the Clinton days. How many people said, you know, uh, impeachment was the only way on the right and how many people on the left said impeachment is way too you know strong a thing to do over this um, this is what tribalism is this is what partisanship is of course they complained when Barack Obama wore a tan suit so I mean right. I think yes calling Iran to investigate Mitt Romney would have been seen <laughs> as, a, as a, a no-no do you get the impression Sungman that 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 there are people in the White House who understand that this behavior is a not helping matters when it comes to impeachment. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's basically making the case mm-hmm. that the transcript is, as the whistleblower said, even more so than the transcript did. Um, but then also, it's it's just not correct. It's just not right that the the founding fathers did not want foreign governments to play any role in our in our elections. Well, I think that's clear from, I mean, there's certainly people inside the White House and there's certainly Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill who are feeling that nervousness. And going back to your earlier point, granted, we're not hearing a lot from them right now because most lawmakers are back home on recess. This might have been the best timed congressional (laughs) recess for uh, Senate Republicans and House Republicans in some time. But I talked to some Republican sources earlier this week about what is the strategy here? I mean, you're clearly going to have to um, do something. And aside from some of the a big kind of the, uh, you know, the bulldog defenders of the president that we've already seen speak out in favor of in favor of the president and defending him. A lot of Republicans just don't know what to do. They're not getting a lot of guidance from the White House. They get talking points that are accidentally sent to Democrats. They don't get much guidance beyond that. They look at the president for messaging, for tone, for guidance. But he is all over the place and also very angry. That's not really a playbook that Republicans want to follow here. So I think there's just a lot of nervousness, confusion. I think once we 
get once lawmakers return in the next couple of weeks, we'll get a better sense of where how they feel. But they are certainly being very quiet today. And this was we should just point out this this foreign government should not interfere in U.S. elections. This is not just something that the founding father said more than 200 years ago. This was said in 2016 by an obscure governor. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. Let's play that. <laughs> now, you all need to know out there, this is this is basic stuff. Foreign donors and certainly foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process. Elliot? Well, it's good that, you know, um, that obscure governor uh, has laid out such a clear, important precept of the Constitution and the Federalist Papers. What's he up to now? I do wonder. <laughs> I don't know. And. Um, you know, he seems like a, an upstanding fellow who would not, um, you know, be involved in an administration that is uh, constantly engaged. In a it's funny. Law. You wonder what he's up to. I'll tell you what he's up to. Let's roll that tape. This is Vice President Pence today. And the president made it very clear that he he believes uh, he believes our our uh, other nations around the world uh, should look into it as well. When you hold the second highest office in the land, it comes with unique responsibilities. Uh, not just to be above impropriety, but to be above the appearance of impropriety. Uh, and clearly, in this case, there are legitimate questions. Look, I mean, Mike Pence owes his political survival to Donald Trump. He knows that. Uh, without Donald Trump, he would be a former governor who just lost his reelection campaign. I think that was pretty clearly the trajectory. So he's learned to date that he can play this role of pretending he didn't know, as he did with Michael Flynn, or being quiet, as he did with Charlottesville, and not echoing it, but not saying it's bad either. Uh, his staff, as we've seen, have indicated pretty clearly that he's going to be traveling and on the road and on the road often. Um, that will work for only so long. I mean, I think this case is different because, as we know, with the timeline, he was uh, not only was his national security advisor on that call in July that we've all seen the call notes from, but he had a meeting with the president of Ukraine in September. So the notion that he had no idea or didn't know is absurd. Obviously, he's changed his point of view. But I think with this, it's hard for him to kind of wriggle his way completely out of this. I'm just remi rem uh, remembering earlier this year when uh, Biden got in trouble with the left for saying that Pence was a decent guy. And they got all mad with him. I'm sure he's really regretting that now. Uh, coming up, the first witness in the impeachment inquiry has been testifying on the Hill. And he's still talking to several congressional committees. What we know about his testimony next. You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Stay with us. And we're back with breaking news in our special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. A big day in the impeachment inquiry with the very first interview of a witness named in the whistleblower complaint, still behind closed doors, that hearing. Kurt Volker was a special envoy to Ukraine. He resigned last Friday amidst this scandal. Rudy Giuliani says it was Volker who arranged his meetings with Ukrainian government aides. Let's go to CNN. Sunland Serfati was on Capitol Hill for us. Sunland, Republicans have just started coming out, trickling out of that meeting, sharing their characterizations of Volcker's testimony. That's right, Jake. And lawmakers coming in and out of that room today are not offering much by way of actual substance of what's being said in this room. Uh, they are not revealing any of the content of what Kurt Volker is saying, nor what those pages and pages of documents that were delivered last night to Capitol Hill on his behalf were. And we are seeing, though, uh, a, similar, a similar Republican line really being revealed from the lawmakers who are speaking about what they uh, heard in the room, making their own characterizations and 
conclusions, largely from Republicans on these three committees, uh, basically saying that th there's nothing that they see or heard in there that advances the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. Here are two uh, Republicans on those committees, including Congressman Lee Zeldin, who just spoke moments ago. The administration is, is in an even stronger place today than they were this morning as a product of Ambassador Volker uh, coming to testify. Not one thing he has said comports with any of the Democrats' impeachment narrative. Not one thing. And going into this deposition today, a source with knowledge of Volker's thinking says that offering some ex explanation of the allegations of his appearance in the whistleblower's complaint, saying that he was trying to get the Biden-Giuliani issue just essentially off the table, given that it was a political effort and certainly not in line with his role in the State Department. So Jake will certainly see uh, and hopefully learn, hope to learn whether lawmakers heard a similar argument from there from him in the room, and, and notably the this is a very lengthy briefing still going on behind closed doors, now almost reaching the seven-hour mark. Jake? All right. Sondland Serfati on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Uh, let's chat about this. Uh, Kurt Volker, uh, Sarah, a fairly uh, respected individual, chairman of the, or the executive director of the McCain Institute, a former ambassador to, to NATO, uh, gets caught up in this. Rudy Giuliani seemed to have been trying to suggest that uh, everything he was doing was with Kurt Volker and the State Department's blessing. And Jen and I were talking about this earlier. What's coming out from the hearings right now is he's not providing a lot to either side, I think. But we have these encrypted text messages that we're just starting to hear about, which shows that at least within their own ranks, they were concerned that the withholding of aid was a quid pro quo. And then there were those who were like, no, this is about corruption. But the fact that back in July there was this concern within the highest levels of the State Department and the government I think is a conversation we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the next what, day. What we need to remember is that this question of what constitutes a quid pro quo, yes, it's a legal term, but um, you know, there doesn't need to be a, you know, an explicit transfer of funds or a specific offer of a... Sure, it'd be a, a shame if something happened to that nice I, I know, restaurant That's a nice restaurant. It'd be a shame if the yeah, windows blew yeah. up or something like that. And so they're <laughs> intimating... I know, but seriously, but they're, they are stepping toward um, serious misconduct. And I think getting hung up on was the criminal statute met is not the inquiry we need to be following That's not what here. impeachment is. That's it's not what political. impeachment is. And there's also a lot that I think we can still... We will learn, I'm certain, from seven hours of, of him testifying here. I mean, who directed him to host these meetings or to set up these meetings. It seems so unlikely to me that he was just doing this of his own accord. Giuliani? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Volker. Volker, uh, yeah. Volker, which is what the accusation has been. Mm -hmm. Now, Volker, as you touched on, you know, he's a longtime diplomat. He's a savvy operator. He's very well connected in Washington. He ran the McCain Institute. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He probably was not kind of um, you know, pulled into something that he that he didn't he didn't understand. So I, I would love to know kind of who directed him, who knew, what did Pompeo know, what did other people at the State Department know who were political appointees, what did the White House know, um, and did he know what Giuliani was going to be pushing and asking for? Um, you know, the answers to those questions I think are going to tell us a lot. I think what's difficult here, too, is that this is all being done behind private doors or closed doors. So the parts that are dripping out, it allows both Democrats and Republicans to kind of create their own narrative. So Jim Jordan can go out there and say there's nothing that we've heard in the last five hours or however long we've been there that, um, you know, implicates the president in any way. And Democrats can say something completely different. Um, I think what's really important, what you're not hearing right now, are uh, some of these key voices on these committees of moderate Republicans who may be more open-minded and more willing to kind of 
not suddenly go to their partisan corner. So people like Will Hurd, Elise Stefanik, who are both uh, moderate Republicans, who are both on the Intel Committee. I would be really interested in hearing from them in the future what their takeaway is from and, today. As a, but and sort of as a congressional matter, those closed door depositions are immensely valuable because you can kind of in private, uh, without the Klieg lights on, get someone's information. In a political process, though, people can come out and spin it however they want. They're dripping it out. And while Volker has been behind closed doors, I just want to show Rudy Giuliani's Twitter feed, if we can. He's been <laughs> filling his Twitter feed with these screenshots of text messages and conversations that he had with uh, Kurt Volker. He claims, Giuliani, that they show Volker reached out to him. Uh, I don't know if that suggests that Giuliani... Uh, is nervous about what Volcker is saying uh, or not. Apparently, I've seen, I think the Washington Post reported that Volcker was actually showing all of the text message chains, not just little excerpts of it. Um, I will say as a broader picture, I was talking when I was talking to the, some Republican sources earlier this week about their strategy. One said to me, one of our goals is to try to get Rudy off air. A little bit. So oh, they don't think this is working. This is not helping. Uh, some of the more uh, reasonable yeah. folks. This is. They know this is not helping their yeah, case gonna to have Rudy on air. Rudy's going to talk about that later yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, stick around. We're examining the scathing op-ed about President Trump's alleged fitness for office, written by Kellyanne Conway's husband, a noted conservative attorney. Stay with us. Welcome back to a special edition of The Lead, the White House in Crisis. His wife is one of President Trump's closest advisors, but today noted conservative lawyer George Conway, who has emerged as a leading Republican critic of the commander-in-chief, is eviscerating President Trump and his fitness for office. In a more than 30-page article in The Atlantic magazine, Conway lays out why he thinks President Trump is a narcissist who should be removed from office. And he says, you don't have to be a mental health professional to agree. Mr. President, if in a scathing 11,400-word piece in the Atlantic magazine, noted conservative attorney George Conway declares President Trump to be, quote, unfit for office. You don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, Conway writes, and you don't need to be a mental health professional to see that something's very seriously off with Trump, particularly after nearly three years of watching his erratic and abnormal behavior in the White House. Conway writes that he agrees with the mental health professionals who argue the president clearly meets the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder, as defined in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Conway then asks the reader, does the president exhibit traits typical of pathological narcissism, while providing evidence that he says makes his case? Specifically, does the president, quote, exaggerate achievements and talents and believe that he or she is special and unique? I'm an extremely stable genius. Nobody knows this stuff better than me. Does he have a, quote, sense of entitlement or demonstrate, quote, arrogant, haughty behaviors? When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. But I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. To answer that question, Conway points to these comments from Trump on September 11, 2001, a short time after the World Trade Center collapsed. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest, and now it's the tallest. Conway also points to Trump's reaction after a man fell off the stage at his Mar-a-Lago resort and was badly injured. You know, beautiful marble floor didn't look so good. It changed color. It became very red. You Get that blood cleaned up. It's disgusting. I forgot to call the next half. I forgot to call to say, is he okay? He, he was okay. Yeah. It's just not my thing. Conway finds other more recent examples of Trump seeming to lack basic empathy including how after his visit to the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh to honor the victims killed in a horrific anti-Semitic mass shooting, 
His first tweet about the trip read in part, quote, small protest was not seen by us staged far away. The fake news stories were just the opposite. Disgraceful. Conway writes, what kind of human being, let alone politician, would engage in such unempathetic, self-centered behavior while memorializing such horrible tragedies? Only the most narcissistic person imaginable. And Conway connects this theory to the way the president, quote, is using the presidency to advertise his real estate holdings, pointing out as just one example to Trump's recent efforts to host the next G7 meeting of world leaders at his resort in Doral, Florida. With Doral, we have a series of magnificent buildings. We call them bungalows. They each hold from 50 to 70 very luxurious rooms. He ties this also to other aberrant behaviors upsetting the political stage, including the current Ukraine scandal. I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens. And so, Conway argues, Trump's mental state should be taken into account as this impeachment inquiry begins. He writes that the president, quote, places his interests over everyone else's, including those of the nation whose laws he swore to faithfully execute. That's not consistent with the duties of the president, whether considered from the standpoint of constitutional law or psychology. Joining me now to discuss this, uh, Dr. Andrea Bonnier. She's a psychology professor at Georgetown University. And we also have Shankar Vedantham, a social science correspondent for NPR and the host of Hidden Brain. Dr. Bonnier, let me start with you. So George Conway's basic argument is you don't have to be a psychologist as you are to make these diagnoses, to see this obvious behavior. Mm -hmm. Does he have a point or... I think he has a point about the behavior. We can all sort of observe this behavior and be troubled by this behavior and maybe speculate on how it makes him unfit to be president. I think when we get into the idea of a diagnostic label, that's when there's some concern because I still maintain that even as clinicians, we can't do this from an armchair. We had we would have to have a full diagnostic history in order to actually think about a diagnostic label. But I would almost argue that that's a separate issue. Being unfit to be president may be a totally separate issue than being psychologically healthy. Uh, Shankar, the fact that this discourse in the country has come to this, that people are now writing these major stories about um, being mentally unfit. And, And look, we wouldn't normally do this. We haven't talked about the president's psychological state on this show before beyond Uh, you know, just observations of his behavior, as Dr. Bonner points out. But this is George Conway with close connections to the White House. And this is a major story in a major magazine. And he's making a case. Um, You think this is reflective of where we are in society right now? I think so. I mean, when you look at the history of how mental illness has often been used in a political context, Jake, it's often been used in contexts where you're basically going after someone whom you don't like. So, for example, During times of slavery, slaves who left their masters were seen as having a mental illness or, Mm -hmm. you know, gay people were once considered to have a mental illness. In totalitarian regimes, you know, psychiatry has often been used to dismiss people who are dissidents. So in, in many ways, when we start to pathologize people using the lens of mental illness, partly I think what that reflects is how rancorous things have become between us, how tribal our partisanship has become. And and we should point out that George Conway anticipates this basic argument that people shouldn't necessarily do this, talks about how mental illness shouldn't have a stigma, talks about how Abraham Lincoln, in all likelihood, based on historians, uh, suffered from depression, Mm -hmm. but still was able to do his job. Yes, and that's exactly right, because I think we can weaponize labeling people in a way that actually harms folks that have true psychological disorders. There are lots of people, I may say, with psychological disorders who nonetheless could function quite well as president of the United States. So I almost see it as separate issues, and I think it's a dangerous 
slope for us to start throwing mental health labels around when what we're really talking about is whether somebody's actually got the ethical and moral constitution to be able to be president. We should point out this is early in the presidential race. It's not even 2020 yet. It's probably going to get much, much worse. It is probably going to get much worse, Jake. But here's a very simple test on whether you should be using the lens of mental illness to think about someone. Are you using it to basically help them or are you using it to help yourself? Mm. It's a very simple test. So if you're basically employing, you know, thinking about mental illness with a view of compassion, through the lens of compassion, a parent who calls 911 or calls a doctor and says, I'm worried about my child, that person is basically using the lens of mental illness to say, how do I help this person? Mm -hmm. When we use the terms of mental illness or the diagnosis of mental illness to go after our opponents, we're not using it from the point of view of compassion. We're using it to score political points. And I think that's where the history shows us that it's extremely dangerous to do. So mm -hmm. two respectful disagreements with George mm -hmm. Conway writing this story, if I can interpret what you're saying. Yes, I think he had a lot of great points, but I think we have to be more careful than he lets on. Thanks to both. Oh, go ahead, final point. Well, one interesting thing, Jake, here is that people often use mental illness in the other way as well. After the shootings in El Paso, for example, Trump's described some of the shooters as having mental illness. So in some ways, we sometimes can use mental illness to defend people who we think of as being part of our groups, even as we sometimes use it to go after our opponents. So it's, and both, of course, are a misuse of, a misuse of science. Interesting. Thank you both for coming in. Really appreciate it. Coming up, is President Trump close to committing a crime by publicly asking two world leaders to dig up dirt on the Bidens? Former prosecutor and Democratic presidential candidate Senator Kamala Harris will join me live. Stay with us. In our politics lead now, as President Trump's impeachment fight heats up here in Washington, new polling shows that 45% of the American public are in favor of the House voting to impeach the president. That's a plurality. But how is impeachment changing the minds of voters for 2020? CNN's Miguel Marquez went to one key county in Michigan that Trump flipped to red to find out. All-important Macomb County, Michigan, has impeachment dented the president's support here. Did you vote for the president to, or Clinton in 2016? President. For the president. Are you still just as happy with him? Uh, no comment. Some of the president's supporter on the fence, but most we spoke to see impeachment as little more than politics. I think it's a lot of just people don't like him, they want him out of office, the left and the media. John Scans voted for Trump in 2016 and had concerns early on. Six months ago, he thought Joe Biden might be an option. Now, he says, the push for impeachment has him supporting the president more than ever. They are there for one thing now and one thing only, and that's to try to impeach the president. But Democrats here say moving forward with the impeachment process could sway voters to their side. It doesn't doesn't help and does it help votes in Macomb County? I think so. I think so, because I think people in Macomb County want to see what's, see what's being done, see the right thing being done. Obama won Macomb and Michigan twice. Trump easily won Macomb and flipped the state by a razor-thin margin. And who won the state of Michigan after decades? The county critical to both parties. Republican strategist Jamie Rowe says the drive for impeachment will only help re-elect the president and Republicans. If they're going to try and impeach him on this Ukraine business, I think that they are they are driving themselves straight back to the majority minority in the House. 
Paul Kanan with the Michigan Democratic Party says while impeachment is important, Democrats also need to keep their focus on the issues. We need to be talking about what affects people on a day-to-day basis, and that is, that's those blue-collar pocketbook issues. Now, one other thing we heard from the president's supporters is that they're concerned about the economy, and even those that are striking. Now, at the UAW workers that are striking that support the, the president, they're worried about the economy. They're worried about their own strike action on that economy as well. They say if the economy stays strong, they think he will be fine and, and have another term. But they are worried that if it turns uh, sour, it will get tougher and tougher. Jake? All right, Miguel Marquez, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joining me now to discuss all of this is presidential candidate Kamala Harris. She's a senator from California. Senator, I want to get your reaction to President Trump publicly on the South Lawn of the White House calling on another foreign government, China, to investigate the Bidens. I mean, Jake, clearly the guy hasn't figured out Then, when you solicit the help of a foreign government to interfere in the election of the president of the United States, you may be impeached. Um, it, it is extraordinary. And I will tell you, I'm calling on, on the White House to actually release whatever transcripts, whatever recordings, whatever notes there are about Donald Trump's previous conversations with um, Xi, because we need to know what he has now said in private conversations, because we obviously know what he's saying in public. And, and clearly, um, he doesn't get it, which is that the commander in chief of the United States, the president of the United States, it should not be in the business of working with foreign leaders against our democracy. It is a violation of the oath. It is a violation of all that should be the, the, the responsibility of the president of the United States to uphold our democracy and the Constitution of the United States. So you're on the Senate Judiciary Committee. You're a former state attorney general, former uh, district attorney. I know that you consider this behavior to be an abuse of power and impeachable. Is it also illegal? Is there a criminal statute that the president is violating by calling on foreign powers, Ukraine and now China, to investigate his political opponents? Well, we'll see as the the impeachment um, process proceeds. But I will say, Jake, that it, it's, it is a classic case in terms of what he's been doing as it relates to the whistleblower um, to, to an attempt to su- suppress evidence and, and, and intimidate a witness, which is why I've also called on, on Donald Trump's Twitter um, privileges to be revoked because he has, even as, as many other members of Congress have indicated, he seems to be eliciting um, fear and, and threatening a witness um, to, to what could be a crime against America and our democracy and, and to try and suppress that evidence. And that is a classic um, example of a crime. But I guess the question about you, you I know you wrote to um, Twitter and the CEO, uh, Jack Dorsey, and asked him to take away the president's yeah. Twitter handle, his account. How is that not a violation of free speech? I mean, the president has the same rights that you have, that I have, and how would that not just be a slippery slope where they have to ban, you know, half of the people on Twitter? I've heard that argument, but but here's the thing, Jake. First of all, 
a, a corporation, which is what Twitter is, um, it does not have the, it has obligations, and in this case, Twitter has terms of use policy. And their terms of use um, dictate who receives the privilege of speaking on that platform and who does not. And Donald Trump has clearly violated the terms of use. And there should be a consequence for that. Not to mention the fact that he has used his platform, being the president of the United States, in a way that has been about inciting fear and potentially inciting harm against a, a witness to what might be a crime against our country and our democracy. And for that reason, I do believe that he is that it's clear that he has violated the terms of use. And I'm asking that Twitter does what it has done in previous occasions, which is to revoke someone's privilege um, because they have not they've not lived up to the to the advantages of the privilege. I have to ask you, uh, there is this new poll out of California, your home state, showing that uh, your approval numbers, your support numbers have dr dropped from 19 percent in July to just 8 percent uh, now in terms of uh, your, your presidential uh, race. Um, are you concerned at all? If you're in single digits in your home state, uh, how do you expect to get the, the numbers you need nationally? Mm. No, listen, Jake, I'll tell you, I am not going to ride that roller coaster. I don't ride the polls when they're high. I don't ride them when they're low. We are just steady. And it's about earning the right to support, to get the support and earning the, 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 the votes. And so that's why I am working up and down the state of California, Nevada, New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina. Um, we are organizing on the ground and we are putting the resources into earning the support. Um, but I'll tell you, this is not a new experience for me in California or in any office that I've run for and won, by the way, which is that, you know, the polls will, will sometimes monitor the support we're receiving. Sometimes they don't. But frankly, the only poll that matters is on election night. All right, Senator Kamala Harris, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have fun on the campaign trail. Thanks, Jake. New reporting okay. just in about another possible whistleblower, this time involving the president's taxes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I have two major breaking news stories for you right now. First, this from CNN, a source familiar with the whistleblower investigation tells me that the political bias referred to by the intelligence community inspector general is that the whistleblower is a registered Democrat. That is the bias. The IG acknowledged the bias in his statement, though he said that it didn't change the facts of the whistleblower complaint. The attorney for the whistleblower, Mark Zaid, declined to give us a comment. And some more breaking news. The Washington Post is reporting new details now on another whistleblower. This one, a career official from the IRS. CNN's Lauren Fox joins me now live. Lauren, what can you tell us about this Washington Post report? Well, the Washington Post reporting that an IRS official filed a complaint arguing that there had been improper influence in the presidential audit program by at least one political appointee over at the IRS. And I just want to flag that earlier this summer, in July, Richard Neal, the House Ways and Means Committee chairman, did receive a complaint from this person arguing that there had been improper influence over the presidential audit program. Now, the administration has dismissed this claim, arguing that this is hearsay, that 
that this person didn't have any direct knowledge, but we learned about the individual filing a complaint with the House Ways and Means Committee because Richard Neal, the chairman of that committee, wrote a letter to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, and he included that letter in an August court document, basically arguing that he had concerns about this presidential audit program. And Jake, if you remember, the presidential audit program is at the center of that uh, lawsuit that House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal filed for the president's tax returns. Basically, he's arguing he needs the president's tax returns because he needs to understand if there are safeguards in place over that presidential audit program. So, of course, if a whistleblower is coming forward here alleging that a political appointee is influencing that program, that's very significant. And what what, what does that mean, Lauren, for... for Um, the Democrats trying to get their hands on the president's tax returns. Well, Democrats were saying all along that if there was credibility to this, that that would add more heft to their case because they're basically saying, look, if there's a way for a political appointee to influence this, that would be very significant and it would mean that we need to change the country's laws. This is not enshrined in law as it is, Jake. This is a tradition. When a new president and vice president come in, their taxes are audited. Now, we don't know if this would have applied to the president's taxes or the vice president's taxes, but obviously it's significant development here from the Washington Post. Jake? All right, Lauren Fox, thank you so much. We're going to be right back with much more in this special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Stay with us. Breaking news. A source familiar with the investigation prompted by the whistleblower tells me that the whistleblower's, quote, possible political bias that was referred to by the intelligence community inspector general, who said that the complaint was credible regardless of it, is that the whistleblower is a registered Democrat. As I stated, the IG announced the bias, but said it did not change his determination that the complaint from the whistleblower was credible. Uh, An attorney for the whistleblower declined to comment. CNN's Sarah Murray uh, joins me now. Um, Sarah, what do you make of this? We were being told by some Republicans that wait till they find out what the bias is, but it turns out he belongs to one of the two major political parties in the country. Right. I mean, I think if this is the extent of it, it's pretty thin. You know, you're allowed as an employee of the U.S. government to register with a political party. And even, can you believe it, to exercise your right to vote, Jake, you're still allowed to do that if you work for the U.S. government. But as the whistleblower complaint points out, the IG did determine this to be credible. And we have seen over the course of these weeks the way that the facts in this complaint have continued to check out, you know, almost across the board. And so I think that if this is it, if there is not more there that they found that indicated this kind of bias, it feels like a nothing burger. And we should point out again that the inspector general of the intelligence community was appointed by Donald Trump. Right, exactly. I mean, there are lots of political appointees that work in government every day. And, you know, sometimes they do things that we don't agree with, but a lot of times we entrust them to make decisions that are on on everyone's best behalf, on behalf of the U.S. government writ large, not just what would be best for Donald Trump, just what would be best for the person in the White House. I think that's even truer when you look at career officials, when you look at people who are in the defense community. A lot of these people went into government not because they wanted to serve whoever was sitting in the White House in any given moment, but because they thought that was a good job. They wanted to serve their country. Yeah, I mean, there are Democrats who work for President Trump. Yes. All right, Sarah Murray, thank you so much. <laughs> Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. You've been watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. See you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.